We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. as we start a new series, you see there some kind of familiar sights from the city that we love and just that, this idea that, that God's kingdom and the way that God wants to rule and reign in Jesus is breaking through. We catch these glimpses of peace and of justice, of mercy and compassion and kind of symbolize with this, the symbol of the cross that death has been overcome and that, that God has done something. But also this puzzle, this mystery that this kingdom, this way that God wants to rule in the world uh, and also the realities that we face day in and day out are colliding. You know, we know this, this, this promise that God is with us and for us, and that in Jesus, death has been defeated, and in, in him, peace is being made, and, and compassion is the rule, and this, this way of Jesus has been given to us, and the, the, the birth of, the gift of the church, this community, this family that we're a part of. Then and also, again, the realities that we face, the, when we turn on the news or when we get a bad diagnosis or we hear about a friend who's in pain or we experience in our own life our own pain and our own struggles on the inside. And it's hard, I think, kind of the understatement of the century, more than hard, it's kind of devastating, I think, for the Christian faith in some way to say, yeah, there's this reality of God's kingdom of heaven coming to earth and also the reality that we face as humanity and that Christians have dared to say for centuries that God's kingdom has come near and the challenge, the push for us is to participate in that and to see those glimpses and to cultivate an environment where people all over our city and all over our world experience heaven come to earth. And so that's what we're talking about over the next four weeks. And it's also part of our larger church family conversation around generosity and mission. You know, what is God calling us to do and to give of ourselves, not just financially, but of our, of our time, of our energy, of our service, of who we are, uh, to we give back to this community so that others catch those glimpses of heaven that other people see that good news, that, that, that God's kingdom has come near, that the church would be a place where those two worlds collide, reality and the kingdom of heaven, and that we can say, actually, this kingdom of heaven, this way that God wants to rule, is reality. And that's the good news we want to share with our city. So again, that's what we're talking about over the next four weeks, as we also talk about our generosity and the ways that we give to our community to make those things a possibility. I was thinking about this week on like two worlds colliding and how we experience the reality of God, the reality of the kingdom and our, and our own reality and also the reality of our families colliding with the reality, maybe for better or for worse, the reality of our, our work friends or the people that we work with or the reality of the school we went to with our, our new friends or how those two worlds collide. And it just reminded me of this thing that I say a lot and I know annoys my wife, but it really just brings me so much joy. Anytime we go anywhere, a concert, uh, the grocery store, just getting gas at the gas station around the corner, CVS, whatever else. We're getting out of the car. I always say, I hope we see someone I know. <laughs> uh, and Layla's like, I hope we don't. I don't want to see anybody I know. I'm like, oh, please, I really hope we see someone I know. And I don't know what it is about that. Because actually, like, there's some anxiety around, like, the world that you live in, your church life or your work life or your family life colliding with these other parts of your life. But I always say that. Like, I really hope we see someone I know. And it's reality actually for Landon because she's a teacher. They're like, we'll see one of her students out in the wild, like at a store, and you can see the look on their face just like, 
their mind is blown. Like, you don't live at the school? Like, you, you have to go to the grocery store too, just like me? Like, you're a real person? And I actually remember having the same feeling. I had an English teacher uh, in high school, doctor, or not doctor, uh, it was high school, Mr. Tuttle. Uh, and uh, he was very dry, and we all thought he was super funny. Uh, and I saw him at the bookstore in town one time, and I was just like, that it tickled something in my brain. Just like, he's a real person, <laughs> just like me, you know? And out of context, I see Mr. Tuttle at the bookstore, and, and I'm there too, and it's awkward. Like, do I say hi? Like, do I tell him I've done my homework? Like, how do we interact, you know? Like, do I need to, like, you know, impress him or something? And come to find out, actually, this is, a, this is something psychologically proven that it, it actually does kind of light up our brains when we see someone out of their normal context. It like happened to me over the weekend. I saw someone in a store, and they said, hi, Colin. And I was like, hey, dude. I know I know your face, you know? <laughs> but I'm not sure I know you. But even then, it was just like the joy of seeing someone out of context. Or, I mean, we were on vacation this summer. We were in Boston for part of that vacation. And I would, you know, it was silly, but like, I sure hope we see someone I know in Boston. The chance is pretty low. And we're like walking around in the city, and I see this guy, Kevin Queen. He's a pastor in Nashville. So I don't actually know him, but I know who he is. And he saw me gawking, you know, like pastor celebrity. And we stopped and talked for a second, and Landon was like, who are you again? Like, who is this? I hope we see someone we know. The, the, the world's colliding, seeing somebody in and out of their own context, that we're contextual animals. And then we actually like it when things are ordered, but it kind of messes us up, but in a good way when we see someone out of context. So all that to say is if you see me in public, and especially if I'm with Landon, please say hello. <laughs> I would just make my day. Don't hide. Come say hi to me. I'm like, yes, we saw someone I know. And also, just in case, say your name too, uh, just so I can remember it. <laughs> uh, there's this concept. Stephen Jay Gould is this archaeologist, and he, he, it's called um, non-overlapping magisteria. And so, uh, of course, I got to take every silly thing I do and turn it into something uh, way headier than it needs to be. Uh, but non-overlapping magisteria, he's an archaeologist, and he was kind of having these conversations about science and religion. And we're still having these conversations. Like, does science, does, does Darwinian evolution or biology or chemistry or physics have anything to say about or inform anything about our religious and spiritual life? And likewise, does our spiritual and religious life have anything to say, anything to, to contribute to, anything at all to our scientific or objective life? And Stephen Jay Gould's conclusion, and he wasn't the only person that talked about this, and his idea of non-overlapping magisteria was that one had to do with objective fact and reality, that is science, and religion and spirituality had to do with moral and ethical oughts. So um, your religion, your spirituality can tell you what you should do and how you ought to behave, and science tells you the way things are, frankly, in a cold, objective, scientific way. And ever since he kind of coined this term, and there's like a little acronym for it now, uh, scientists and religious people alike have questioned and wondered and argued with this idea, like, really, does science have anything to tell us about, say, the creation stories in the beginning of Genesis, or maybe anything about who we are and our makeup and human anthropology, can it inform anything about us spiritually? And going the other way, people like Francis Collins, who helped kind of map the human genome, who's also a Christian, pointed the other way and say, is there anything about my faith that can inform my scientific life, the research and the work that I do? And I think Francis Collins and other thinkers, and I'd include, include myself in this circle, would say, actually, they're not totally non-overlapping. They do overlap. They do collide, 
They do have something to say to each other, and we're still trying to work out what that means, but there are kind of moral oughts, and there are scientific objective realities, and in some places they collide in mundane ways and kind of large, kind of ethical ways, in conversations we have about really anything, the scientific objective world and our moral, spiritual, ethical, religious world. And in the same way, seeing Mr. Tuttle at the bookstore when I was 14 years old, when these things collide, it lights up something in our brain. Because we say, well, you know, the way things are and the way things ought to be collide. The way things, not just the way I want them, but for religious people, the way God wants them come into conflict with and, and are seen in just sharp relief with the way things are. And I think that really sets the stage for where the gospel story opens. We're reading a passage from the third chapter of Matthew today, uh, this kind of uh, story of John the Baptist coming onto the scene, and according to Luke, Jesus' cousin, and he's preaching this message that's kind of drawing people in, even though it's a harsh message. I'm going to zero in on one thing that he says, which is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And thinking about these kind of non-overlapping circles of our life as the foundation of the lens through which we hear the story, uh, listen to this from the third chapter of Matthew in this kind of introduction of John the Baptist. It says this. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the, his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you'd open our ears to hear this call to repent, to turn and face the reality of who you are and know the good news that your kingdom is within arm's reach. We can see it, we can taste it, we can experience it by you. And help us with John prepare this way for you to come into our city, for you to come into our world, for you to come into our lives, that we might be purified by you, to be more like you, to taste that fire that burns away the things that are of no use and sharpens the things that you wanna use for us to make this world more just and compassionate and kind. Make us more like you in this moment. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot going on in John's proclamation to these people. 
He's saying, I, I, I'm going to baptize you with water. That is, I'm going to clean you and change your status with repentance. And you've probably heard this before, but it bears repeating this, this word. The Greek word used for repentance in the New Testament has a kind of spatial aspect to it. It's not groveling. It's not saying sorry. It's not just confessing your sins and getting out in the open who you are. It's turning. It's a literal 180 turn. You're facing this way, so face this way. So you can hear that in John's word. Repent. That is, turn. You're walking one way. We just talked a few weeks ago about the path is made by walking. Repent, meaning take another path. Take this path. Then he gives the reasoning for or because. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You kind of make a, a ranking list of what Jesus talked about the most, the most frequent object of his teaching. And some would say love and some would say money. And those certainly rank really high, but the number one far and away is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That over and over again, when Jesus told a, a parable, it would begin with the kingdom of heaven is like, and he told this evocative, beautiful story that describes a kingdom of equity and justice and truth and, and compassion and peace. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who had a necklace and these coins on it, and he, she lost one, and she just swept over her house, and then she found that one coin, and she threw a party. And the kingdom of God is like a shepherd with 100 sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off, and he, he forsakes the other 99 sheep to run after the one, and he picks it up and bears it on his shoulders compassionately and kindly, and, and they throw a party for the sheep. The kingdom of God is like a family, a father and two sons, and one son sticks with his dad and works hard and is part of the family business and the other one asks for his inheritance early and squanders it and gives it all away and then he runs back repentant. He turns to his dad and his dad runs out ruthlessly to meet him, embraces him and kisses him. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like that. And John the Baptist is the, the, the precursor to all that and again, just to, to mention that according to Luke, like he and Jesus were cousins and I was reading this this week thinking like, none of my cousins would ever say anything like this about me, you know? Uh, like, there's one greater than I coming. Some of my cousins would be like, which one is that, you know? Oh, the twin, that guy? Oh yeah, cool, like, I argue with him on Facebook or whatever, you know? Uh, uh, it's a different sort of situation. And, and whether or not Matthew knows that fact or believes that thing, what he's saying is that there's this, this path that's been created and I'm making a, a path for this person to come so that you can experience this kingdom. John the Baptist is saying this kingdom is coming and the ruler of it is right around the corner. And he happens to be my cousin, so I have a way in, you know? And these religious leaders, the most religious people in John's context, they're living under this Roman oppression. These religious people come and he sees them and he's like, who told you to come? You guys think you have it all figured out. <laughs> But here they are, and he calls them a brood of vipers, and he paints this really terrifying image. Echoes some of the images we heard in the end of John 15 last week. That, that this, this kingdom is a kingdom that bears fruit. And this fruit, if we continue to read in the New Testament, are these qualities, these personal qualities of people to be kind and compassionate and just and to center their lives on love. And, and John says, if, if you don't bear that sort of fruit, it's like you just need to be cut down and burned, and, and it's, you're of no use. We see then, just like seeing a teacher in public or having these uh, realms of our lives intersecting, a breaking through. 
that in the mundane lives of these people in the first century, John is saying something new is about to happen. And it's not just about to happen, it's here. It's at hand. It's made its home among us. It's walking around the corner, like actually physically, literally. Like there's a person coming and he's, and he's here now and, and he's actually gonna follow up the ministry that I've been doing. I've been baptizing you with, with water, but he's gonna baptize you with the spirit that equips you and calls you and compels you and pushes you out into the world to then pop up these little kingdoms all over the place that look just like his. The worlds are overlapping. And John is inviting those people hearing him and us to see and us to experience and us to respond to this call, this imperative to repent, turn and look at this one who embodies this kingdom. Look at this one who's inviting you into a new way of life. Look at this one who's breaking through and in his breaking through is inviting you to be a people of overlap. Be a people that as you gather together and make these communities, people wonder about you are shocked by you, maybe even embarrassed by how much you love and care. If, again, if you look at the first century of Christians and the centuries after, reports of people outside the Christian faith looking in were like, who are these people that care for the orphan and the widow? Who are these people that care for the lowliest among us? Who are these people that share bread with one another? Who are these people that when they sit around the table, there's the richest among them and the poorest among them? Who are these people that speak a variety of languages? Who are these people? And John would say, And I think Jesus would say, and I think in that same line, we should say, it's people who've repented, who've turned, and faced reality and seen that the kingdom of heaven is not this pie in the sky thing that Western evangelical Christianity has sold us, but it's a present reality. It's not something to punch your ticket for and expect when you die, but a reality that we should expect now as early as today, as early as you leave branches today, as early as tomorrow morning when you go to work and you can imagine and expect that God's kingdom will break through. The good news for us is there's so many beautiful examples in the church and people of faith following Jesus that have heeded this call, that have experienced it, that have invited us to it, that that have seen this repentance firsthand and, and seen God's kingdom come to life. I just wanna share a few of those. My, my best friend, Paul, is a pastor in Beaverton, Oregon, right outside Portland. And if you don't know, Portland and that whole area has um, a really tough time with and a, a deep issue with people who are unhoused. And Paul, in the church he's at now, he's only been there a couple of years, his, his predecessor in 2017 was like, instead of us just talking about it more and more, why don't we use some of our property and build low-income housing on our property? They built an apartment complex set to open this January for people who've been oppressed and marginalized and cast aside in the Portland area and now can live on this church property no matter their religious background, no matter where they come from or believe or don't believe or what they do. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there ahead of them, right there in front of them. Or in our uh, own city, uh, Pastor Emily Chapman up at St. Mark's, they saw this uh, school in their area, kind of east of 45, um, uh, and they knew that uh, the library was terrible, and the books were tattered and not been updated, and the way Emily tells it is so beautiful. She says, my church is a bunch of nerds, uh, and we couldn't let a library like that exist, (laughs) which like deeply resonated with me. I'm like, you're right. Like, that's the gospel to me. Like, let's fix this book situation. And so that library now in this, in this elementary school is staffed by volunteers from St. Mark's every week 
and is renovated and replenished with books by these nerds of St. Mark's. And that school's reading level has gone from an adding level of B over the past two years. if you didn't take the time to go step onto it. And there's this farm, Shambaya Amani, Farm of Peace, where refugee and immigrant women work together to grow food and community and friendship and belonging and empowerment. They've moved to this country that's really hard to navigate the systems in it. And so they've decided to partner with one another. And just earlier this year, their, one of their storage containers was defaced with a racial slur. It could be really defeating and disappointing and be like, okay, we it's unsafe, we can't do this here. And someone in their community painted these beautiful sunflowers over it, and they're still there every week. And if you see the flowers that we have once a month here, they're from that community, planting peace and hope and harmony in our city. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a multitude of examples, and maybe even you're sitting here right now thinking, uh, this church or this community or this pastor or this leader has shown us the way to see that the, the kingdom of heaven is, as uh, Dr. Greg Ellison would say, is just in the three feet around us. It's not tomorrow. It's not next year. It's not pie in the sky by and by. It's not when I get my things together. It's not when I figure out my life. It's at hand. It's here. It's present. It's like tapping you on the shoulder and you're turning around to find out who it was. Repent, turn for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what it means to experience this now and not yet. The, the, the reality, the harsh reality of our life coming into collision with this promise that God says, I am with you and I'll never forsake you. And I wanna, I wanna land here, I wanna kind of center right here because I think this is the, the, the challenge that we have. We've been talking about obstacles a lot the past few weeks and I think one of the biggest obstacles to the Christian faith is that we proclaim this good news, the greatest news that's ever been told, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is here, he's conquered death, he's overcome it. And then we see these realities, like these horrific images from Israel or the scourge of gun violence in our country or our friends and family members just in deep depression and alienation and anxiety and people wanna say like, are you serious? You can say that good news in the shadow of everything else that we see in the world. And I think our challenge, what we're being asked to do, what John the Baptist was asking his first hearers to do, and then Jesus in that same way, and then the church, this gift that God has given to the world, is when, when we say, like, we've prayed for this, we've asked for this, we've wondered why this hasn't been solved, God could say to us, you may have heard this before, I've been wondering the same thing. <laughs> you could become the answer to your prayers you could cultivate kingdom life around you. You could seek justice and harmony and equity among people in your own city. You, you could find peace and justice and compassion, even as the three feet around you, in your own family, in your own workplace, in your own church, in your own city, on the highway, in your commute every day. Repent. Turn. Face a different way. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. With eyes to see and ears to hear, we can see it, we can hear it, we can experience it. And if only, if we pooled who we are together, every resource, every desire, every hope, every dream, every vision, every piece of energy and time that we have, we could share with one another that we could see it come to life all around us. And it could be unimpeachable, undeniable that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, even for people that are experiencing the darkest times in their life. That's the challenge for us. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the hope that, that the, the path that John the Baptist was making.
Repent. Turn even now. Believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right here. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for these challenging words from John the Baptist, from the vision that he gives us, for the uneasy way it makes us feel, because we know and we wanna believe and we wanna partner with you and we wanna walk hand in hand with you to see this kingdom come to reality, for it's at hand, it's close, it's made its home among us. Help us be citizens of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.